0: Welcome to The Scientist Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by The Scientist Creative Services Team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by Sartorius. The Sartorius Group is a leading international partner of biopharmaceutical research and industry, With innovative laboratory instruments and consumables, the group's lab products and services division concentrates on serving the needs of laboratories performing research and quality control at pharma and biopharma companies and those of academic research institutes. The Bioprocess Solutions Division, with its broad product portfolio focusing on single use solutions, helps customers manufacture biotech medications and vaccines safely and efficiently. Immunotherapies are promising as a holy grail for cancer treatment but patient responses to these interventions are often variable, both solid tumors and blood cancers. In this episode, Iris Kolbatsky from the scientists' creative services team spoke with Ali Dufa, a physician and doctoral researcher at the University of Helsinki's hematology research unit, about his work analyzing the genomic landscape of hematological cancers. Coupling next-generation techniques with traditional methods, such as flow cytometry, He aims to better understand the complex range of immune characteristics in different cancer subtypes and use that data to predict patient outcomes.
1: Cancer cells develop as a person's own cells run amok. When changes within a cell's genes that normally control cellular growth allow for unchecked division. In tissues, the cell expansion forms tumors. When originating in an immature or functional blood cell, cancerous cells build up throughout the blood and bone marrow, causing various leukemias and lymphomas. To target and kill cells that once were normal members of a person's body and still display many of their characteristics, researchers and clinicians need to get creative during therapy development, devising treatments that inflict damage to cancer cells in a targeted way. Cancer immunotherapies, where a patient's immune system is turned against malignant cells, are gaining popularity, and researchers strive to fine-tune the immune response to better respond to each cancer type, which can vary from patient to patient. One prominent type of immunotherapy, immune checkpoint therapy, blocks the interactions between checkpoint proteins which help regulate the immune response and their intended target. Binding of a checkpoint protein to its target typically tells the immune system that a cell is normal and not a threat. Cancer cells exploit this mechanism by expressing these target proteins. A notable example is the PD1 protein on T cells and its partner PDL1. If PDL1 is expressed on a cancer cell and bound by PD1, the T cell leaves the cancer cell alone. Checkpoint therapies consist of compounds that block these interactions, which free the immune system to attack the cancer. While this may sound like a surefire treatment, immune checkpoint therapies vary their efficacy among different cancers and patients, something Oli Dufa wants to improve by better understanding cancer immune responses.
2: These work in some of the blood cancers, for example, Hodgkin's lymphoma, but not many others. The question what we had was if you could map this immune landscape of the different blood cancers, would there be signs of an active immune response in some subtypes or potential drug targets like these checkpoint molecules or some other targets that would show some signs in a certain disease subtype the genomic landscape is something that has been a big focus in in the research for the last 10 years or so to find tumors that could be treated with a targeted therapy if there is a subtype that is driven by a certain genetic alterations our angle was to connect this information with the immune profiles what are the immune inhibitory or stimulatory molecules on the surface of the cancer cells, which tumors are heavily infiltrated by immune cells like T-cells and natural killer cells, which tumors present antigens to the immune system, and whether you could have some connections, which groups could potentially benefit from uh, immunotherapies.
1: To understand why certain cancers respond better to immunotherapy than others and use that information to improve patient outcomes, Dufa and his colleagues, led by Satu Mustyoki, wanted to do something that had never been done before in hematological cancers—integrate genomic, epigenomic, and transcriptomic data to unveil the genomic landscape of multiple cancer subtypes and describe how this influences disease and therapy response. This information could illuminate which cancers would be more receptive to treatment and help researchers identify new immunotherapy targets for certain malignancies.
2: We ended up working very closely with a bioinformatics lab from the University of Eastern Finland. They had generated this big database pulling together public gene expression data from thousands of blood cancer patients. We thought that this would be the optimal tool to to answer these questions and to also ask what is the connection between the genetic alterations and the genetic subtypes of those cancers to the immune profiles of those tumors. To be able to find those subtypes from that transcriptomic data what you do is something called clustering based on the gene expression profiles so you see which patients tumor cells resemble each other find clusters where you have these resembling samples and then find these so-called molecular subtypes often the gene expression based clusters correspond very nicely to The genetic alterations and tell a lot about the genomic profile of the tumor cells. So once you have that information, you're then able to connect that with these immune features that you can also measure from the transcriptomics data. For example, the immune infiltration, infiltration by T-cells and natural killer cells.
1: From these data, the researchers came up with a cytolytic score for each sample, a number reflecting the amount of cytotoxic T-cells and NK cells in the tumor microenvironment based on the expression of five genes highly specific to the cell group. Using this information, Dufa and his group examined which genomic and immune features were more enriched in various cancers. First, to validate that the cytolytic score calculated from the gene expression dataset accurately represented cytolytic cell abundance in cancer samples. The researchers developed and tested these scores in the laboratory with bone marrow samples from patients with acute myeloid leukemia, or AML. AML is characterized by an excess of immune white blood cells of the myeloid lineage, cells that mature into granulocytes, including neutrophils, monocytes which turn into macrophages, red blood cells, and platelets, in the bone marrow and blood. Using sequenced RNA from these samples, the researchers determined their cytolytic scores. Then, they use flow cytometry panels to identify and sort the cells within each sample.
2: From those panels, you're able to distinguish the cancer cells and the immune cells, and then you can get from that data a more accurate information of what fraction of the bone marrow sample is actually E cells or NK cells, and then we're able to correlate that with the gene expression-based measure and that turned out to work out quite nicely, so then you've got the confidence that you're able to use this score for these thousands of samples where you don't have this flow cytometry information.
1: When analyzing the gene expression data sets, Dufa and his colleagues found that the cancers with the highest cytolytic scores, the ones with the most cytotoxic T and NK cell infiltration, were samples from patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, B-cell lymphoma, and myelodysplastic syndrome a group of disorders where immature blood cells in the bone marrow fail to develop or function properly, which may lead to leukemia. In contrast, acute leukemias and chronic myeloid leukemias had lower cytolytic scores. After further analysis, the researchers found that the samples with high cytolytic scores had high expression of genes related to T-cell activation and inflammation, as well as genes that are hallmarks of other immune cell types. They validated some of these findings by analyzing cancer tissue. Macrophages and monocytes were abundant in high cytolytic score samples, but they were sparse in acute myeloid leukemia samples. In
2: the microenvironment, in lymphomas such as B cell lymphomas, it seems to be very immune hot in the sense that there's lots of macrophage infiltration, lots of interferon gamma signaling PD-1 expression, whereas in the leukemia microenvironment it appears a bit more immune cold in many respects, such as uh, lower expression of these checkpoints, such as pdl one lower relative T-cell infiltration, and, and so forth.
1: Whether the cytolytic score was generally high or low, there was significant score variation with each cancer type. In most cases, tumor locations seemed to influence the cytolytic score. For example, testicular diffuse large B-cell lymphoma samples had high cytolytic scores, in contrast to the central nervous system subtype. Additionally, contrary to the trend, certain acute leukemia samples had high cytolytic scores. Looking beyond gene expression, Dufa and his colleagues analyzed cytolytic scores in relation to copy number variations, the number of copies of specific genes in a sample, and mutations in genes involved with the immune response.
2: B. Different immune features differ quite substantially between the different genomic subgroups. So, for example, using this cytolytic score, we found a subgroup of patients with acute myeloid leukemia that have more T cells, and K cells in the bone marrow. And these seem to be a group of patients that have often mutations in the tumor suppressor TP53 or other genetic alterations typical for a kind of secondary type AML that arises from myelodysplastic syndrome. There's something About this subtype that makes the bone marrow be more abundant in T cells and NK cells compared to other types.
1: In acute myeloid leukemia samples with low cytolytic activity, they found mutations in FLT3 and NPM1 genes, common drivers of the cancer's development. One cluster of AML samples characterized by low cytolytic scores and NPM1 mutations additionally had low expression of major histocompatibility complex, MHC class II genes. This group of proteins, known as human leukocyte antigen system, or HLA in humans, presents extracellular antigen peptides to T cells. This interaction typically triggers an immune response, including local inflammation via phagocyte recruitment or a full antibody response. MHC complexes are found on professional antigen-presenting cells, including dendritic cells and certain phagocytes. To find the molecular mechanism behind MHC2 downregulation in this particular acute myeloid leukemia subtype, Dufa and his colleagues looked at mutations, copy number variations, and epigenetic causes in the form of DNA methylation. They found that the promoter of the C2TA gene, which normally upregulates HLA2 genes, was methylated, as were some HLA2 genes themselves, which resulted in gene downregulation. These data suggest that antigen presentation is under epigenetic control in certain hematological cancers, adding to the list of reasons why Dufa describes some acute myeloid leukemia subtypes as immune cold.
2: This was, again, something that we wanted to validate using other methods. So flow cytometry was, again, something that we used to, to measure the expression of those class II molecules on the tumor cells we were able to find using the flow Methods that, yes, the cells that have low expression of those genes are actually quite negative in class 2.
1: To further explore the potential role of epigenetic regulation and MHC2 gene silencing, the researchers treated acute myeloid leukemia cells with the cytabine, a chemotherapeutic used to treat myelodysplastic syndromes. It works by inducing DNA hypomethylation, which affects gene expression. The researchers performed RNA sequencing on the treated cells and found that decreasing methylation with the drug induced expression of the MHC2 genes in acute myeloid cell lines that had moderate levels of methylation at the C2TA promoter. This, in turn, induced HLA2 expression. Dufa and his team, again, validated the RNA sequencing results with flow cytometry by sorting for and quantifying cells expressing an MHC2 surface receptor. These results suggest that certain subtypes of acute myeloid leukemia may evade triggering a robust immune response by downregulating MHC class II genes, and thereby antigen presentation through C2TA methylation. To develop new immunotherapies, scientists search for additional checkpoint proteins that are associated with a poor immune response. Blocking these proteins with drugs would release the inhibition on the immune response and spur immune cells into action against cancerous ones. In his dataset, Dufa looked for the expression of such proteins in different cancer subtypes. He found that in some cases, the type of blood cell that the cancer arose from influenced checkpoint protein expression.
2: Well, it was quite interesting that in, in some of these leukemias, such as AML, that it's the monocytic type, there's expression of potential alternative checkpoints like a gene called Vista. It's known to be expressed in monocytes, but based on our data, it's also very heavily expressed on the malignant blasts and monocytic malignant cells. In general, this landscape of what type of immune features are prevalent in which tumor types was very much driven by, on the one hand, the genetic alterations that are in the tumor cells, but also the lineage that the cells are from. That has a very strong impact on the immune microenvironment.
1: DNA methylation and specific genetic mutations seem to be involved in the expression of multiple checkpoint genes in blood cancers, including acute myeloid leukemia. In certain AML subtypes, mutations in NPM1 increased VISTA expression, and TP53 mutations were linked to high expression of another checkpoint gene, CD274. Dufa and his colleagues also looked beyond the acute myeloid leukemia samples to identify trends in checkpoint protein expression. In diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, mutation of the CD70 checkpoint increased its expression. Normally, CD70 and CD27 work together to stimulate a T-cell response, but the researchers thought that this mutated form may instead cause immune evasion. To better understand this mechanism, they first inactivated the gene with CRISPR in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma cells. They cultured the CD70 mutant cells with cells expressing CD27 which also had been engineered with a reporter construct that would identify T-cell receptor signaling. The researchers performed flow cytometry using the Sartorius IQ Screener Plus flow cytometer to assess T-cell activation through the fluorescent reporter. The CD70 mutation diminished the number of cells presenting a T-cell response, suggesting that these mutations promote immune evasion by blocking T-cell stimulation. With a mountain of data from thousands of samples, Dufa and his colleagues next had to make sense of it all in regard to the patient experience. They asked themselves, what do these cytolytic scores and molecular mechanisms actually mean for patient prognosis and cancer treatment?
2: In the study, we looked for these connections between genetic alterations, mutations, copy number alterations, the expression of checkpoint molecules, immune infiltration, the microenvironment, and also the epigenetic or more directly DNA methylation based potential regulation of these phenotypes. And then we ended up making this survival model where you combine all these different immune features and the genetics to predict the survival of these patients better. And using these immune features, you can improve on the current classifications, such as ones used in, in AML. There's the European Leukemia Net classification in lymphoma, there's others, but We found that if you take into account these immune profiles, it can actually tell you uh, a bit more in detail how the patients are going to do once they're treated. Some of these immune features that correlate with better survival might be helping to eliminate the tumor cells and ones that are correlating with worse survival. If you could somehow target those, for example, inhibitory immune interactions, you could improve the survival.
1: Tuva cautioned that these results are so far correlative and a lot of additional work is still required to figure out how these immune and genetic features relate to patients. With his colleagues at the University of Helsinki, he has continued exploring the interactions of immune cells with different blood cancers, moving beyond analyzing patient genomic data sets by performing more direct laboratory experimentation.
2: From this immune landscape study, we got this hint that the lineage and the genetic subtype of the tumor plays a big role in what kind of immune profiles the tumor have We've been putting together NK cells and cells representing different blood cancers in vitro and then sequencing those samples using single cell RNA sequencing and also a method of CRISPR screening where you can functionally ask what molecules are turned on when the cancer cells meet the immune cells and which genes actually regulate whether the cancer cells are killed by the immune cells or not. The idea with that is to get a bit closer to the actual potential drug targets, that if you turn off this gene, the cancer cells become more sensitive to to natural killer cells, for example, then this would be something that would potentially be a promising drug target.
1: Tufa's holistic, patient-centered perspective drives his research on the genomic landscape of blood cancers. He applies insights from his clinical practice of medicine to developing immunotherapeutics that support a personalized approach to patient care. With a focus on his patient's needs, Dufa is paving the way for future bench-to-bedside translation.
2: Being a physician, you're always thinking: what is the potential benefit for the patient in this? And then the daily work is often driven by an interest in a very biological question. But then once you have a result, you think about what is the potential use of this finding or what would be the patient group that would actually benefit from immunotherapy in a certain disease? And what could really be the implication of this? I've done a bit of work both in clinical hematology as well as hematopathology. And I think both of these have given a good idea of the actual clinical questions and where the results of this kind of research would be most meaningful.
0: Thank you for listening to The Scientist's Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services Team for The Scientist and narrated by Iris Kolbatsky. Thanks again to our sponsor, Sartorius. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.